So I've got several topics that I want to touch on. Um, I'm going to try to get to all of them. Maybe not in any particular order. But um, I was thinking, I was thinking about people who who want to get yield on their Bitcoin. And by yield on their Bitcoin, you know, I mean people that have been putting their money into BlockFi, to Celsius, and into other lending type institutions. Um, because um, the idea is, of course, that you can lend out your Bitcoin and generate a little bit of income on that Bitcoin versus it just sitting there, you know, idle <laughs> in your uh, cold wallet storage. And, you know, I think if you if you believe that Bitcoin is going to be some type of money, then ideally you, you'd sort of want to uh, participate and lend out your Bitcoin. Because I think the Bitcoiners are actually sort of shooting themselves in the foot when they, when they tell their, you know, plebs or whatever you want to call them. They tell people, oh, it's too risky to lend out Bitcoin. It's too risky to lend out Bitcoin. And you shouldn't be lending it. Well, if you really want Bitcoin to be some kind of money in the future, you're going to have to get used to and, and actually want to lend. These whales, I'm sure, are lending. But they're scaring away all the little minnows. <laughs> you know, they're scaring away people from BlockFi's of the world. And um, I get being scared because um, I, I think that these products, and I watched this interview with Simon Dixon, not to be confused with the Chris Dixon guy of a, A16Z, but I agree with a lot of what he said. He said um, these products were advertised incorrectly. Like the BlockFi's, the Celsius of the world, they completely advertise these products wrong. They advertise them as like a bank account. In that you could, you know, and they directly compared themselves to a bank account. And this, I think, is evidence of fraud, right? Now, the SEC did come down on BlockFi, uh, but, right, you know, but I think these products could exist if there were proper disclosures. These are securities, right? And that's okay. It's not like you're saying everything on Coinbase is a security. This isn't an exchange. This is a, um, they're selling investment products. But unlike a bank, they don't get an exception. They're not a bank. A bank has lots of regulations around their products that they sell, right? But technically the products that they sell that offer you yield are technically investment contracts. And there's all kinds of disclosures and rules. But this new, you know, lending uh, company called Blockfire Celsius, they, um, well, they, they, they didn't get regulated as a bank. They didn't start out as a bank. And so uh, they skirted some rules and they're selling a product that virtually acts the same as a, as a bank account yielding interest, but without any of the proper disclosures, without any of the popular, proper regulatory environment. And so clients, like users do have a fear to be, you know, a fear, a substantial fear in that BlockFi was only holding, what, 10% in reserve on hand to meet any kind of withdrawal request. And that presented a big problem when the industry lost a bunch of trust, when some of these other lenders went under. 
Are they ever going to be able to get this trust back? I think they're going to have to be a lot more transparent. And I do think they're going to have to advertise themselves as selling security, securities products. So there'll be a lot more disclosure um, about what it is they're doing to generate this yield. Hopefully they'll be a little bit more careful with, uh, with investors' money. We'll see. But I think the industry, they're going to have a really difficult time, number one, of convincing people to come back. And this presents, you know, perhaps a good job opportunity for somebody who, who has some ideas and has, can convince people to go to put their deposits, you know, back on BlockFi. Uh, because BlockFi was very much acting like a rogue bank. They were only keeping 10% available at one, at one time to meet withdrawal requests. But the problem, that's not necessarily a problem. The problem was that they didn't tell their customers the truth. They didn't tell them, hey, look, if you want to generate yield, you have to promise to lock up your Bitcoin with us for a certain amount of time. Because how the hell do you think we're generating this yield? Now, um, I don't think that they are being explicit about this. I mean, I don't think people who put their coins with BlockFi really knew how this yield was being generated or that in theory they couldn't get their, you know, coins out for a certain amount of time. Think of like a CD. Now, a CD, I don't even know if people still use these because interest rates are terrible, but it was, you know, back in the day, banks had, had basically a certificate of deposit, which you agreed to lock up your money and not take a withdrawal for a certain amount of time. And the bank could give you, you know, a little bit better interest rate than, than what you would get just in your checking account. And that's the key is that under no circumstances could you take out your Bitcoin or sorry, your dollars in this, in this checking account uh, before that time period was up. I mean, maybe you could, maybe there's some kind of penalty, but in theory you couldn't do that. Right. So why, you know, BlockFi, maybe they had, I don't know what their terms were. Maybe they had, a, a, you know, a lockup period for some amount of time. But Zach Prince, the CEO, was saying that they never even, um, if somebody wanted their money out before the duration that they kind of signed up for, or even if they even signed up for a duration, I don't know, a specific, you know, amount of time. Uh, they probably didn't even have that. They just had, they didn't have defined plans of that. They just, like, you just put your coins there and then like whenever you decided to take it out block five was probably like okay well they're going to get this amount of interest i mean that's stupid they should have had lockup periods clients should have known they couldn't take a withdrawal for a certain amount of period and they'd be compensated for that risk you know if they did that but this wasn't explicit right this was not explicit but this this product is clearly a security um you're investing right you're giving your money over to uh, BlockFi, who is a better allocator of capital in theory, they're using your capital, they're generating yield, right, by, by, by investing in places, lending out money, etc. So this is an investment contract. Um, it's kind of crazy that the big, you know, the people that started BlockFi, you know, thought that they could get away with this, right, without, you know, it, it anyone saying, oh, you know, it looks like you're doing a security. Right. I mean, don't they have lawyers there? Really good lawyers that could have told them that. I think they probably knew, or at least some people knew. Right? They're hiring really good people, right? I assume. So they should have known what they were doing was actually illegal. 
Um, these people technically should be in jail. Like, if you want to be honest, like, you're not allowed to sell unregistered security cards. But I'm going to set that aside for now and just, just comment and say they have a huge trust problem. How are they going to get people back into the industry? Well, you know, maybe there's an argument for you should be treating Bitcoin as money. You should be lending it out. Maybe you could convince some of the hodlers of that because they believe Bitcoin's money. Now, I don't, but they do. Uh, but there's also perhaps um, perhaps they don't know about other ways to generate yield on their own Bitcoin. So if they if they want to get Bitcoin, but they don't want to sell their Bitcoin and they want to have a little bit coming in or feel like they have a little bit coming in. Right. They might go back to block five because what else is there? There's really nothing else. I can't think of anything else besides, um, you know, selling maybe covered calls or something. But selling selling covered calls, I think, has been a great strategy for this past like two years. Uh, we had a rising Bitcoin market. Um, you had people, you know, highly speculative. You had people like really thinking Bitcoin was going to moon. You know, that's when you want to sell covered calls. And a covered call is basically, most people probably know what this is, but you own Bitcoin, you know, and you do think Bitcoin's going to go up or, or maybe stay the same price or maybe even drift a little bit lower. But the idea is that you sell um, an option for someone to buy it at a higher price than currently exists now or, that you, or from where you bought it at, let's just say. So you're selling a premium um, above the current market price uh, and at some future date, right? So you're speculating on, will the price be at 100K by this November? Someone thinks it will be. Uh, someone thinks it will be much higher. They might buy a call, right? And then you might sell them the call. And if uh, if it's executed, right, if it, if it actually, if the option is worth anything by then, means the price of Bitcoin is above 100K, you get to sell it at 100K, right? And the other person gets all the other extra upside. Uh, but you get to keep the premium on the selling the call if it never reaches that point. So, um, so even if it doesn't reach that point, you're, you're making money, you're making money. And if it does reach that point, ideally, you've, you've sold it at a, at a price that you thought was great. Um, and you've made money, uh, including the premium. <laughs> and so it's a great strategy. It's a strategy for people that are not greedy, though. And I, I think that it doesn't appeal to a lot of Bitcoiners because they're just too greedy. They really are greedy. Um, these people think Bitcoin's going to a million. And their greed is what will uh, lead to their undoing, right? They won't, they won't sell for a little bit of money. They'll sell. They want to wait for that big, big payday. And in my opinion, that is a mistake. <laughs> I like the covered call idea myself a lot better. Um, I, like it, I like it a lot better than BlockFi too, technically, in the yield. Um, but if you don't know anything about calls, you know, and derivatives and stuff like that, um, you feel more comfortable just lending out your money to BlockFi, uh, you know, maybe go back, to, go back to them. Now, again, you could lose it all, right? Because they could be insolvent. So, um, so, you know, I don't know what that does to Bitcoin. Like if people just stop lending out their Bitcoin, period, right? I mean, I guess you just assume that 
there's going to have to be much you know, higher interest rates, perhaps, if no one's lending out their Bitcoin. But why are people borrowing Bitcoin? Why, who are these people that like are, are BlockFi's major clients? Well, the problem with this whole industry is that it's just other speculators. It's other people, you know, putting this stuff into other Ponzi's, et cetera, et cetera. And so the yield, um, you know, I think that another BlockFi or Celsius or blow up is inevitable. Um, they might regain the trust, but it's probably inevitable that it blows up again on them because this stuff isn't being lent. Um, the problem with this whole industry is I agree with the Bitcoiners who say, oh, well, you shouldn't lend out your Bitcoin. It's too risky. They're just putting it in Ponzi schemes. And I agree. I agree with that um, to some degree. But I think that Bitcoin has this huge problem in that you need lending, but you need lending to productive enterprises and activity. But the very, but you're never going to get that because the very nature of Bitcoin, just um, as an asset and the whole crypto industry, um, is non-productive. So you can never have good lending in Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin would have to stabilize in price, which can never happen. So, you know, you can never really have great lending in Bitcoin. You can never know if it's going to blow up, lose your coins. So I think this is a great task for someone to try to convince someone to go back to the block of the world. I think you're going to have a hard time um, doing it, but perhaps you could get paid really well if you could. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I tend to think that selling like a covered call would be good. But again, if you have to if you have to give your Bitcoin over to an entity to sell a covered call, that kind of sucks. Right. Because you have that risk of them going under. Um, but perhaps some other people are doing it better than others. Um, but. uh I tend to think I tend to put I tend to rank covered calls ahead of, of BlockFi type. I think you can do better, and I think that um, I think that you might have lower risk. Uh, but who am I? I mean, I'm just I'm not, I'm a nobody, so don't take take uh, don't take this as investment advice or anything like that. Uh, I'm just you know explaining you know what I think about the market right now. Um, now. The, the call, the call stuff, it's a derivative product and it makes me think of GBTC. And I heard a bunch of people, a bunch of Bitcoiners saying last week, uh, or so when, you know, SEC denied, uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, an ETF product. Oh, well, you, you're allowing somehow the futures product. Well, I think the futures product is regulated by the CFTC. And I believe that they only allowed like CME. And, um, it's not even a, it's not even a Bitcoin based product. It's like a futures based. It's a, it's sorry, the, the, the product, the futures, um, are cash based. They're not based on Bitcoin. They're not even Bitcoin settled. So, so how does, so I don't get why you're trying to make this connection. I think they're just pulling strings and, and trying to grab onto anything they can to, to try to try to say why. You know, the, the SEC should have okayed, you know, um, Grayscale's product. But again, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm remembering it being cash settled, the futures product um, of Bitcoin. So I don't know if they actually ever uh, 
brought that up, but I think that's a good point to bring up. <sighs> Let's see what else. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, I want to talk about the Thernos um, exec and how um, how uh, this guy was just found guilty of fraud. And, um, well, like 12 counts of fraud, uh, for conspiracy to commit fraud and wire fraud. And I wanted to really just like compare and contrast, um, this guy, and this guy's fraud and people in the Bitcoin crypto industries possible fraud. And I, I do think that, I do think that fraud's very serious. And I think the Bitcoiners are taking this too lightly. They're taking the idea of fraud and the concept way too lightly. Um, if you go read, I think I linked it in here. Let's just see. Let me read part of it here. Found guilty of 12 counts of fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud this week, resulting from his involvement in the startup Blood Company. He was found to have misled investors about the financial health of the company and was convicted on all 12 counts. He was accused of defrauding investors and patients in part by misrepresenting the efficacy of Theranos' product and lying about the company's finances. Okay. So how could we apply this to the Bitcoiners? Well, the Bitcoiners like to say no one's in charge of Bitcoin. Um, well, that's debatable, but I'll give them that for now. Now, a lot of these Bitcoiners, they've made Bitcoin their whole life, right? They've started companies in Bitcoin like Kraken, Coinbase, BlockFi. Uh, well, what else? Um, you know. Lots of side companies. Let's talk about the Bitcoin mining companies. Some of them are public. Some of them are private. That actually doesn't really matter. This guy, this, this guy, can't say his name, Bolani, was convicted of defrauding not only patients, but also investors. Now, Bitcoiners who have companies in the space or crypto in general, uh, crypto general companies, um, the people that they get money from those are those would be their investors and the people that are buying their products right you can think about a swan a river right these are brokers that sell bitcoin the people that are their customers are the people buying their products right so this swan guy and this river guy who just sell bitcoin even they even they need to be very careful with what they say about bitcoin right what they say about bitcoin because they could be charged with defrauding not only people who invested with them, right? Uh, and but you know, most likely that's not going to happen unless you know the they, the company collapses or something, um, and the investors lose money. Or customers now, customers are more likely to to 
be lose money and be um, defrauded. And so these companies ran by these Bitcoin people, they're focused on like, oh, well, Bitcoin's not a security. And I don't agree with that either. Um, I think it's yet to be you know tested in court. But I'll give them that for now, too. But they're not focused on their businesses, which are Bitcoin crypto related and the selling of you know, services or products or Bitcoin or other cryptos to their clients. And if they misrepresent what Bitcoin is, what crypto is, if they mislead, if they deceive, um, if they use tricks, all of this, all of this is grounds and justification to, um, uh, for the for them for a you know prosecutor right to bring fraud charges. Now, fraud fraud is a crime. Technically, for criminal for criminal fraud, that's got to be brought by the government. But what they don't tell you, right? What they don't tell you is that um, regular people can bring private private lawsuits right against these people, and so. There's so much evidence against these Bitcoin people. They constantly mislead about what Bitcoin is. They call it money. They call it digital energy. They say it's going to the moon. They say it's going to be their next reserve asset. They say, you know, in the in the public, you know, there's mining companies, there's public mining companies. Um, they they're lying all the time. Like we're, you know, Jim Chano said it best. We are in the golden age of fraud. And for the people in Bitcoin, maybe they don't know they're committing fraud, right? Maybe they have no idea, but they're definitely committing fraud. I mean, for sure. You're definitely committing fraud. Um, and I think, I think if you wanted to, you could definitely go after these people, um, now, I wonder what the Bitcoiners think. You know, I wonder, you know, because they might say, well, no one can predict the price of Bitcoin, so it's okay to say it's going to a million. Well, depends, right? I think you have to have evidence for this to some degree. You, you can't just make these wild claims, right? Um, and you can't be so confident about it, which they are. They're always They're always very confident. Oh, Bitcoin's going to the moon. Bitcoin's going to replace you know, all these other assets. Bitcoin is, is crucial for the, you know, oil industry or, you know, the power grid. They even talk about this. This is, opens up a lot of doors um, to just destroy these people, in my opinion. Um, and it was interesting. I, I was reading the article about the Thernos guys and one of the charges even said something like they don't even have, have had to have uh, actually harmed anyone like just just the intent to lie or I can't remember where it was I thought that was interesting because I thought with fraud you technically you had to have somebody harmed but um I think that I think that there's lots of cases like this and of course they just have select enforcement they only go after certain certain ones I think that's a shame um I think it's a real shame that we have like selective prosecution. Although I understand that in some cases are very different than others, but on the whole, it tends to lead to exploitation of the law. It tends to lead to some people being convicted, other people getting a free pass. 
which is entirely unfair. Um, But, you know, ultimately there's going to be a product built that helps people sue these Bitcoiners or crypto people in general. Because, you know, everyone talks about the fraud. Everyone talks about how big of a problem it is. And no one's doing anything about it. Right. We're just all waiting for people to lose money. Um, You know, what if somebody could go after Corey Klipstein, right, of Swan personally? And, you know, what if he got hit with massive, massive lawsuits? Right. Would he just... What would he do? You know, um, and what would the court say? I have no idea. But if you can get him on misleading customers, which he's, you know, the head of the company, misleading company customers is a thing. You can mislead customers. You can also mislead your investors. And more likely, the cases are going to come from misleading his investors. And this, of course, would be a private action and it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be a you know criminal offense. Uh, unless the you know DOJ wanted to go after him, but I think you could definitely bring private cases. So I'm just wondering why this hasn't happened yet. Maybe people haven't lost enough money, and it's a shame that these cases really don't don't come come about until people start losing money. But then even when people lose money, they don't they often like blame themselves, and maybe they're partly responsible right for gambling. But in you know, listening to this this guy, but at the same time they have been defrauded and deceived and lied to. And I think that the people doing the lying for their own gain um, definitely deserve all the lawsuits that hopefully will come their way in the future. And all these podcasts, I mean, there's podcasters too that, that just pump Bitcoin, Stefan Levera, Marty Bent, and all of these people, this is a business for them. I mean, they make millions of dollars running these podcasts through ads, uh, trying to, you know, educate what they call educate, what, what I call, you know, Saifedean is a big one, what I call it, propagandize, lie to, uh, con, deceive, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that, you know, all these people run, run a business. This is their business. This is their business. And you can go after them. Like, I guess you just would have to prove, uh, you know, it was them that defrauded you somehow, but I, I don't think it's impossible. And I just, I am amazed at the level of confidence of these Bitcoiners, right? They think they're covered, you know, because they think Bitcoin is some kind of commodity, right? But how can, how can a number in a ledger be a commodity that needs constant mining, right? It depends on someone else. Everyone talks about counterparty risk. Bitcoin has substantial counterparty risk, right? And it's not a real commodity. All of these things are just lies that the Marty Bents of the world tell you and, you know, maybe he's a really nice guy on a personal, friendly level. I'm sure he probably is. But I can't agree with anything that he says, you know, about Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, most of the things he says. And I think that, I think that, um, you know, with fraud, they often say you have to prove intent or intent to deceive. And what if, you know, what if these guys' defense is, oh, well, I believed it too. Or I believe this stuff personally. Well... You know, the the problem is, is that if you believe that jumping off a bridge or that cult leader who had people drink that poison thing, right, that they thought they were going to go to heaven or something. So if you, even if you believe something, right, if you don't back it up with evidence, I feel like if you believe something and you, you feel like you're not defrauding people, but if you believe something and you're convincing other people to join in and that causes a harm to them and it's ultimately untrue what you believe. Um, 
and you're getting rich off of this or you're being promoted off of this, right? Which Marty Bent has gotten rich off of doing his podcasts and stuff um, and all the doors that that opens up. I mean, he, shoot, he's, he's, you know, smoozing with Tucker Carlson on his show, right? You know, same with Nick Carter. They've been asked to go on all these to show, do popular mainstream shows. Um, so, yeah, this guy's rolling in the dough, <laughs> just doing a podcast, right? Pumping Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, if you want to get rich, you do a podcast to pump Bitcoin. But what you don't realize is that you're committing fraud, right? Or that you could be committing fraud and that you could wind up your wind up in jail, right? You could go to prison. You could have to give back all the money that you quote unquote earned, uh, which I do hope happens to the, to a lot of these Bitcoin people. Now, to the extent that Marty Bent was conned into this game, okay, maybe he's not as guilty as some others. Um, but I still believe he's he's responsible because if he believes a con, if he if he believes the Bitcoin nonsense, and then he builds a business around this, you know, and just puts his head in the sand and says, well, I'm not guilty of fraud because I thought all of this was coming true. I was one of the true believers. Um, but that still doesn't mean that you shouldn't be giving all the money back that you, 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 are, you earned, right? Maybe he won't be found criminally, criminally responsible, but he should give the money back to, to people who donate to him, right? To products that he, he sold. And to the extent that Marty Bent sits on other companies, like he sits on the board of other companies, other Bitcoin companies, it's in his profile on Twitter. He's responsible there, right? Cause if he's, he's, if he's acting as a board member, if he's acting as a director, an advisor, right? If he's, if he's part of any other Bitcoin company that's actively selling products, he's, he, he could be responsible there too for defrauding customers. Um, so I don't give people a pass, like people who say, well, I really believe in Bitcoin, you know, perhaps later when Bitcoin crashes and they say, well, I really believed it and that's why I pushed it. But that still doesn't get you off the hook for defrauding people because you believed a lie, right? Because you believed in this nonsense, right? And you have to say, you have to look at Marty Bent and say, well, maybe he really does believe, right? Maybe he's not defrauding anyone on purpose, but you have to realize that he's biased as hell, right? He's not going to go searching for truth. He's he's made his life about Bitcoin. He's made his riches on Bitcoin and on pumping it. And he's, it's going to be very difficult for this guy to come at anything objectively and to, and to, and to let anything come into his brain that contradicts Bitcoin. He, he's just not going to want to hear it. Um, so in that respect, I, I do hold him responsible because he's putting himself out there as this intellectual or this guy that interviews intellectuals on his podcast. And to the extent that he's not hearing both sides, to the extent that he's closed off and it makes him guilty in my opinion. So maybe he does believe his own bullshit about Bitcoin, but I don't think that gets him off the hook as far as fraud goes. Um, because if he's selling a lie and he's gaining, I think he should be held responsible. Um, and, and you could, there's a fuzzy line between, you know, you knowingly deceive somebody, right. And you, you didn't really know what you were doing and you deceive someone, but you still profited. I think it's a very great, very fuzzy line. And I think it's very easy to, to say that while he didn't actively want to hurt people, he didn't actively look into the bearish case of Bitcoin and then really investigate if all the stuff he's, propagandizing people with was true. No, um, he's, he's definitely closed off himself to that, to those arguments. Um, perhaps that's all I really wanted to talk about here. I have another episode that I want to talk about 
you know, the moral case for banning Bitcoin uh, mining in the U.S. I think I'll save that topic for later. Another one, can Bitcoin survive without mining in the future? Um, that's an interesting thought. Thought I'll save that one as well. Uh, and then another topic I wanted to discuss was um, there was this lady who basically in the NFT boom last year uh, created an NFT and said that she destroyed a diamond. She said the value should flow to the NFT. And I want to revisit that because while it sounds crazy, it actually it's a really good analogy to how to think about Bitcoin, right? You're wasting resource and somehow they think that this should, this value should just flow into Bitcoin. But I'll talk about that at some other point as well. Because these are equally, you know, long topics that really have nothing to do with what I, you know, discussed today. 